0: When you listen to that piece, if you know your music history at all, you might think to yourself, wow, that sounds pretty dated. It definitely has a, uh, a certain sound to it. It's atonal, clearly, um, 12-tone, perhaps, perhaps uh, composed by one of the second Viennese composers, Webern, uh, perhaps. But actually, it's composed by Pierre Belez in 1945, over the course of two days, part of a uh, 12-piece series he wrote called Notations. Welcome to Relevant Tones. My name is Seth Bosted, and today I'm going to be looking into these great pieces, the notations, both the original version for solo piano and a huge project that Boulez undertook in 1978, which was to orchestrate them and a project that continues to this day. He's finished about half of them. Uh, and I, I chose the notations to look into because I think it's the one thread that runs consistently through his compositional career. As a child, Boulez showed exceptional aptitude for mathematics and for logic, and his father was very much pushing him to become an engineer. I think that Boulez's first great rebellion, there would be many more, <laughs> was against his father when, as a, uh, in his late teens, he moved to Paris, and instead of going out for the polytechnique in engineering, he went to the Paris Conservatoire. Initially as a pianist, which didn't quite work out, um, but he did take harmony lessons and counterpoint from Arthur Oniger's wife, André Voraborg. And then he, um, especially in Messiaen's class, he was uh, quite encouraged as a music analyst. And I don't think it's surprising that uh, getting this early encouragement from Messiaen, that Messiaen would be one of the great influences on the young Boulez. Let's listen to a piece by Messiaen. This is his 20 Aspects of the Infant Jesus for solo piano. A very big piece was composed in 1944, the year before Boulez composed Notations. Let's listen to the second movement. We just heard the second movement of an enormous, sprawling piece by French composer Olivier Messiaen called 20 Aspects of the Infant Jesus, composed in 1944, one year before Boulez would write his notations, and I think definitely an influence on the young Boulez. Another composer that had an enormous influence on Belez was Anton Webern of the Second Viennese School. I think both composers are very similar in their approach to composition, writing very tightly controlled and, and, and rigorous uh, pieces, very meticulously notated. Let's have a listen to the third movement of Webern's Opus 27 Variations for Piano. We just listened to the third movement of the Opus 27 Variations for Piano by Anton Webern, a piece that was very influential on the young Boulez. I think those two composers are, uh, at least in the beginning of Boulez's career, very, very similar. They meticulously notate exactly what they want, every dynamic, every articulation, everything is exactly on the page the way that they want it. And also, the music is is uh, very rigorous in in its uh, in its logic, derived from these logical systems. And the two composers, um, it would oftentimes take them a long time to write the pieces that they were working on. Not in the case of the Notations, as we know, which he wrote in two days. If you remember from the opening of the program, um, the piece that we heard, I think you can definitely hear the influences. But let's listen to another one, and uh, this is another one of the Notations by Boulez. And in this piece, I think we can really hear the combination of the influences of Messiaen and Webern. Notation number three by Pierre Belez, composed in 1945. Um, again, what was in the air in 1945? The music of Messiaen, certainly. Uh, music of Webern, still very, very popular at that time. And it's very clear to hear in that piece the influences of those two composers. Well, as I said in the beginning of the program, also, um, the the notations are kind of the thread throughout Boulez's compositional career because in 1978 he decides to orchestrate them and he's still working on them today. So we're going to get to those orchestrations soon but Boulez has such an interesting career I can't help but uh, take a a detour into the Darmstadt years. Um, Boulez was one of a group of people who were, uh, well, they were... They were angry. They were angry men. They wanted to, uh, to smash tradition utterly. They wanted to break away from the past. And, uh, you know, Belez especially thought he could do this through the use of, of logic. Um, again, remember that he was trained or you know, could have been trained as an engineer. He had quite an aptitude for mathematics. And so he increasingly is developing these logical systems that basically ensure that he will do nothing um, from the past, you know, nothing from, from the German Romantic tradition or the Romantic tradition. He especially hated the idea of self-expression in music. Um, um, no, music itself should be rigorously developing forward. And if you were looking back, um, you were of no use, basically, is, is uh, to paraphrase uh, one of the great quotations that he said. So the Darmstadt composers that he is most associated with are Karl Heinz Stockhausen and Luigi Nono. The three of them would become, I think, the most famous of that movement uh, with a break from the past. Let's hear an excerpt from Luigi Nono's Il Canto Sospeso from 1956. El Canto Sospeso, a work from 1956 by Luigi Nono, one of the three Darmstadt composers of this time who were uh, quite intent upon um, radically tearing down the structures of, of classical music, the tradition that had come before them. A critic at the time said that uh, this work is uh, marks the esoteric expiration of Western music. <laughs> he says, the 32-year-old composer has proved himself to be the most powerful of Webern's successors. Karl-Heinz Stockhausen is the other great Darmstadt composer, um, a, a relentlessly experimental composer, and another person that, uh, that really wanted to find something new and, uh, and, and be gone with the past. Let's have a listen to one of his Klavierstürke. These pieces range from one minute in, in length to well over a half hour. I think we'll listen to one of the shorter ones. there are no helicopters in that piece. Um, That would come later for Stockhausen. But that um, was one of the Klavierstücke, and very indicative, I think, of his mature style as a composer. So these are the three of uh, the Darmstadt School, the three best known, who um, were, made it their, their self-avowed mission in life to, uh, to start something new, to completely smash the traditions of the past and do something new. And I, I joked briefly about Stockhausen with the, uh, the helicopters. It's because he wrote a string quartet with, with four helicopters. Um, so I think of the three, he's the one that really went the furthest. Um, around this time too, now we're, we're in the late 50s here, Boulez starts conducting and um, turns out he's, he's quite a gifted conductor. So um, he starts at the Paris Conservatoire conducting his own works and works of other students. And then by the 60s, he's starting to get some really, really sweet gigs as a conductor. Um, by about 1970, he has uh, composed his uh, second piano sonata, which is a very famous piece, caused a sensation at Darmstadt and was studied by all the young avant-gardists in America also. By 1970, he's composed a lot of his big works, and his reputation as a composer is definitely cemented, but uh, perhaps because of the conducting, perhaps um, you know, because he's analyzing so many pieces at this time, he's writing an awful lot of treatises, or uh, perhaps because he just wasn't quite sure in which direction to go now, having so thoroughly broken from the past, his compositional output starts to dry up. He's not writing nearly as many pieces, and in 1978, he decides uh, to tinker with the notations from the past. And so he begins this vast project to orchestrate them, and, and for a, a really gigantic uh, forces, huge orchestra that, that he's working with here. I want to listen to the piano pieces of the second notation. We're going to listen to the piano version, and then we're going to listen to the orchestral version. Another thing to listen for is that he does more than just orchestrate these pieces, he changes them. So we're going to listen to Pierre Laurent Aymar perform the second piece, and he does it in just under 30 seconds, but the orchestral version lasts for uh, about two minutes. What an energetic performance by Claudio Abado and the Vienna Philharmonic of Notation No. 2 by Pierre Bolez, orchestrated in 1978. Uh, Again, it's a 30-second piano piece that gets stretched out into almost two and a half minutes, and there are so many things going on there, it's almost impossible to to even talk about it. Uh, It's amazing to think of all of that in in the piano piece now being stretched out into this orchestral piece. You're listening to Relevant Tones, a show that features music by contemporary classical composers. Today, I'm talking about the notations of Pierre Bolez. For more information about Relevant Tones, including upcoming shows, and uh, to contact us, visit our website at RelevantTones.com. Let's have a listen now to one of the notations with a completely different feel. This is the first one. Unlike the second one, this is a slower, more contemplative piece. It does have the kind of pointillistic outbursts that are, are so prevalent in this atonal style. Uh, I think the orchestration, again, is, is uh, masterful, absolutely wonderful. So let's have a listen again to Pierre Laurent Aymar performing the first notation on solo piano, and then we'll listen to the orchestral version performed by Claudio Abbado and the Vienna Philharmonic. Claudio Bado and the Vienna Philharmonic performing Notation Number 1 by Pierre Bolez. We're listening to the notations today on Relevant Tones in their original piano form and the ones that he has been able to orchestrate so far. Listening to that Notation Number 1, uh, the orchestral version, I'm just struck by how, how different it is. He's not merely orchestrating these pieces. I mean, he's, he's thoroughly reinventing them, recomposing them. He's stretching themes out. He's adding new material. And the sounds that he's able to get, it's really fun just to sit here and try to figure out exactly how he created every individual sound. And uh, I, I think these pieces should be, should, well, they should certainly be better known. But I think they should be better known among orchestration students. I'm thinking of when when I went to school as a young composer. Um, you, you would buy the... Uh, the uh, revell orchestration of the Mussorgsky pictures at an exhibition, and uh, there's a wonderful Dover edition that has the piano part at the bottom, and then above it, there's uh, the Ravel orchestration. And, uh, you know, it's just such a handy tool. And then, of course, you buy your your instrumentation book, and those are, those are the, the tools that every beginning composer buys. I mean, pretty much everybody. And uh, I just think, though, that it would be so much more interesting if we were able to get the, uh, the notations, the original piano version, and then the score version for students to look at. Um, but, of course, I looked up what the score would cost, and it's, it's pretty expensive. So I think most students, until the Dover edition comes out, maybe students won't uh, be up for that. But the orchestrations are so modern-sounding. His ear for color is, is so precise and just wonderful evidence of, of his craft. We're going to listen to the other notations that have been orchestrated, and uh, we're, I think we're going to keep doing this. Uh, listen to the piano piece first, and then go to the orchestral version. I hope you agree that, it, that it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, it would be interesting even if he just straight up orchestrated them, but in the way that he's uh, doubled, tripled, even quadrupled the length and added all this new material. I think this is especially evident in notation number three. And uh, I did play the piano piece earlier on in the show, but bear with me because I want to play it one more time and then we'll play the orchestral version. Once again, we have Pierre Laurent Imar playing notation number three, followed up by our friend Claudio Abado and the Vienna Philharmonic. Claudio Abado and the Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra performing Notation Number 3. I hope you can hear what I'm talking about. The opening there is very clear, I think. It's very much like the piano piece, exactly the same motive, uh, exactly the same register. It's, it's very clear what, what's going on there. And then from there on, it just gets a, a lot less clear. I think the, the piano line is always present, but it's so heavily ornamented. Uh, there's, there's so much happening in the other sections that it's, uh, it's, it's very difficult to hear how it, how it relates to the original piano piece. And in, in many respects, it's an entirely different composition. Let's have a listen now to notation number four. And this is the last of the four notations that Boulez orchestrated in 1980. This one is called Rhythmique, and I think you'll easily be able to hear why. There's a rhythmic ostinato at uh, the heart of it that in the piano piece certainly permeates the entire thing. There's really not much else going on whatsoever. He doesn't vary it. Uh, very much. Every once in a while, there are a couple little 16th note figures. But uh, for the most part, it's it's the same rhythm repeated over and over. Let's have a listen to Pierre Laurent Imar play the solo piano version, and then we'll go back to Claudio Abado and the Vienna Philharmonic doing the orchestral version. And as usual, try to listen to how it changes. Uh, he's extended the piece again and added a, a lot of different things into the orchestration. Conductor Claudio Abato and the Vienna Philharmonic performing notation number four by Pierre Belez. Not nearly as different as some of the others that we've heard, um, the orchestral version compared to the piano version, but there are some differences. Certainly it's a little bit slower, which is interesting, and uh, the, the theme, I think, is is a lot more present, a lot more easy to hear than it has been in some of the other ones that we've listened to. I think it's particularly interesting that the theme goes into the woodblocks there. I don't know if you heard that, but it's mostly in the brass and in the percussion, and there's a really clear section where it comes in, that in, in the woodblocks. I want to actually listen to another version of the same piece. So far, we've only been listening to Claudio Abbado, but there is another recording by uh, David Robertson and the National Orchestra of Lyon. In this version, he takes it even a little bit slower. The percussion's not quite as easy to hear, and um, that, that woodblock is, is a lot more muted now. It sounds like it's actually even perhaps on a different instrument entirely like the xylophone. Let's have a listen to this version. you can hear the difference between that recording and the one by claudio abato in my mind there's a tremendous difference the abato is uh more raw i think um, it sounds less produced almost like you're there while it's happening and um the, the robertson version is, is is very nice it's balanced um you can you can really hear everything and it sounds like it's very it's mixed very well but to me it's maybe definitely has been produced and done in a studio whereas the the abato has more of a well, I like to think of it as the Iggy Pop effect, raw power. It has a little bit more raw power to it. Let's turn now to notation number seven, orchestrated in 1998, 18 years after the first four that we listened to, which were orchestrated in 1980. So we only have the recording here by David Robertson, because this one was not finished when Claudio Bato made the great recording of the other four. We're going to listen to Pierre Laurent Aymar play the piano part. And I want you to listen very carefully because although this doesn't sound nearly as difficult as the other notations that we listen to, I think it is very difficult to play this exactly as precisely and, and, and beautifully as he does. The, the requirements are that you use the middle pedal to sustain those low sonorities while you then go up and play the higher ones using the normal sustain pedal. It's very difficult to do exactly, precisely like Imar does. And uh, it's also difficult because you have to sustain many of the notes with with, uh, the fingers of your hand while other fingers are playing different notes. So it's a fantastic performance. And then we'll turn to David Robertson and the National Orchestra of Lyon. And in the orchestration, I definitely want you to listen to how he changes the the, the rhythmic gesture. The piano piece is very much an atmospheric piece with these rhythmic punctuations throughout um, that, that are changed quite a lot in the orchestral version. Let's have a listen. Wow, they're just getting better and better, aren't they? Notation number seven, performed by David Robertson and the National Orchestra of Lyon. Um, I just don't even know what to say about it. It's such an amazing uh, rendition of that piano piece. You have such a sparse material in the piano piece, um, you know, the same kind of punctuation over and over again. It's a 12-tone piece, but I, I don't know that he got through the row form more than, more than two times in that whole piece because it's so minimal what he's using. And yet now he spins that out into this six and a half minute orchestral uh, just masterpiece of texture and color. Well, we do have the time, so I'm going to go ahead and I'd like to play the other piano pieces that have not yet been orchestrated, or perhaps have been orchestrated but have not been recorded. Um, as I said, there are rumors <laughs> that uh, number 5 and number 6 have been completed but they've not yet been recorded. This is Pierre Laurent Eymar again, performing Notation 5, 6, and then we'll hear 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. All in a row there, we heard Pierre Laurent Aymar perform notations 5, 6, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 by Pierre Belez. And uh, perhaps 5 and 6 have been orchestrated, but there was no recording that we were able to track down. Uh, The others, as far as I know, have not been orchestrated. Uh, So certainly hope that uh, that they are completed. And as I was listening to those pieces, I just, you know, I think that uh, a fertile imagination, <laughs> such as Pierre Boulez's, will be able to run wild. There, there are so many things there, the low resonances, um, the really high, quick um, patterns. You can hear those in the winds. Uh, I, I think the, the piano pieces are incredibly coloristic, even though they're written for piano. You can you can easily hear that they are made to be orchestrated. What an incredible saga, uh, this story. 20-year-old Pierre Boulez in 1945 writes all 12 of the notations in, in a burst of inspiration over just a couple of days. In 1980, he orchestrates four of them, in 98 another, uh, perhaps two others in recent years. And uh, again, as I said in the beginning, this is really the thread that, that runs through all of Boulez's career, these, these notations. Um, just an in, in incredible Piece of music, an incredible work, and uh, again, I just want to throw this idea out there. Uh, Perhaps we in the new music community could even help (laughs) get them finished. Uh, You know, there's uh, the the Ford Made in America is an interesting commissioning model whereby a lot of orchestras get together and commission a composer, and the composer gets. you know, of course, the commissioning fee, but also he'll, he'll get 20 premieres of the new piece in, in the different cities where the orchestras reside. And it's a really interesting model. And I wonder if, if uh, we in the new music community were able to demonstrate to Belez that there was significant interest in, in him finishing these notations. And, you know, if, if 20 orchestras committed to performing all 12 of them, if they were finished, you know, maybe perhaps that, that he'd be able to get them done. So any orchestra representatives listening to the show, <laughs> let me know if you like that idea and we'll try to get it going. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the program today on Boulez's Notations, and I hope that you'll tune into Relevant Tones next week. Relevant Tones is produced by Jesse McQuarters at WFMT, with special thanks to Molly Hunt. For more information about the program and the artists we've featured, you can find us on Facebook or visit our website at relevanttones.com. Relevant Tones is made possible by the generous support of Grosvenor Capital Management, Carol Joins and Abby O'Neill, an anonymous donor, and the listener supporters of WFMT. I'm your host, Seth Bostead, and thank you very much for listening.